0: Welcome. Faces I know and faces I don't know. So, good to see everybody. My name's Jackie. I'm part of the church here. And today, it's an exciting day. Okay? Can we have a bit of excitement? (laughs) Thank you. We are starting a new teaching series on Corinthians. Yes. So, it's so relevant in today's church as well. I struggled with a title, I will be honest, because when you're supposed to do the overview of something, you think, what can I call it? So I've simply called it Entering into Corinthians. There. So it only came to me last night when I was saying, God, help me. (laughs) So God takes you to the last point sometimes, but. So 1 Corinthians is one of the most practical books in the New Testament. And as I quite often say, I am a practical person. So in setting the scene, I needed to know what to include And what to leave out so 50 pages later (laughs) I realized it was too much you'll be blessed to know I have cut it down quite a lot okay so what I want to do is talk about some of the cultural and historical issues that might impact our understanding of the book who Paul was where he'd come from, what his relationship was within the church of Corinth, where does he feel, the, why does he feel the need to write this letter to the church of Corinth? And we'll be looking at some themes, some topics that will recur or be expanded on in the rest of the letter. And then the challenges of 1 Corinthians, And how do we as a church avoid the pitfalls of the Corinth church? What does it mean to be sanctified in Jesus and called to be saints? So I've based this preach not on three points, but I've got four. There, I don't know whether I'm allowed that or not, but that's what I've got. Yeah, risky, isn't it? I felt it was okay when I was praying about it, so. I just want to pray before we start. Father, I just thank you for the time of worship this morning. Father, it was just so beautiful how we were focusing on you. And Father, we do want to just speak your name, because you are at the center of our lives. And Father, I pray as I deliver this, Lord, that people would hear your heart in it. Not my good ideas and my thoughts, but yours. So Father, I just give it to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So some of the key cultural and historical contextual issues that might impact our understanding of the book is where I'll start so let's start with Corinthian it means a native or resident of Corinth Corinthians were known for their wealth and that was because they had a strategic location in isthmus through which all the traffic had to pass en route to the Philippines, including messengers and traders. A lot of business took place, so it was a wealthy place to live. But along with the wealth came a lot of corruption. By the time Paul visited Corinth, it had become a thriving commercial centre and was predominantly Roman in culture orientation. There was competition, patronage, consumerism, self-promotion, and success. That shaped the ethos of the city. As I go through, you'll see some more cultural and historic relevance that will come out and I do want to make an apology here about some of the way I pronounce some of these names and some of these places, okay? Just bear with me, because if you want to stand and do it, it's quite hard (laughs) in the best of times, let alone when you're here, okay? I will take a lesson afterwards. So point number two, let's look at who Paul was, where he'd come from, and what his relationship was with the Corinth church. In Acts nine, verse one to seven, and I'm gonna read from the NIV if anybody wants to know. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him, for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell, To the ground and he heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So let's just think about that a minute. It tells us about Saul, who's later known as Paul, dramatic conversion. Initially, Paul was so against Christianity and its teaching that he actually persecuted Christians. Then on one of his many journeys to capture Christians and put them in jail, he encountered the Lord Jesus in a great and blinding light. It wasn't just a flash like the lightning is when we get a thunderstorm. The light was so bright, it blinded him for three days. It was only when the Lord sent Ananias, who placed his hands on Saul's eyes, that Saul could see again. And at the same time, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You may be familiar with how it's described, like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He got up and was baptized. Pretty dramatic. That was enough to make you stop and realize. And Paul realized suddenly, perhaps there was a God. Paul was sought out by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You could say it was God's will for Paul to be an apostle. If we look at the word apostle, it means ambassador, a special messenger, delegate, or personally chosen representative of Jesus Christ. In this case, it also meant one sent with authority because Paul was sent with God's authority. Let's just look back at Acts 18, verse 1 to 18, to gain insight about Paul. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to summarize it. It tells us he'd arrived from Athens to Corinth. Now, according to Google Maps, it takes 29, 20, 17 hours. 29 minutes to walk and it is 77.2 kilometers so it's a fair distance it gives us a brief account of the work Paul and his colleagues did in Corinth his ministry in Corinth began when he met Aquila who was Jewish and his wife Priscilla both Paul and and Aquila were tent makers by trade. Paul moved in with them, and they became business partners. This demonstrates to me that they built a trusting relationship. They grew to be friends, as well as worked in the same areas, and most of all, they wanted to teach God's word. So they had a lot in common. It goes on to tell us in Acts eighteen four to seven, that every Sabbath day, Paul spoke openly in the synagogue to the Jews and non-Jews, persuading them to believe in Jesus. Some more friends, Silas and Timothy, also arrive from Mercedona to join him. Initially, Paul and his colleagues would teach from the Corinthian synagogue until it aroused hostility. People became abusive, and it wasn't possible to continue there. How many of us would have given up at that point? But Paul wasn't disturbed by it. It didn't stop him from declaring the gospel. He just simply moved next door to a house which belonged to Titus and housed a Christian community. Titus, it tells us, was a God-fearing Gentile, a worshiper, of God. In Acts 8, eighteen verse eight, we hear how successfully Paul teaching in the synagogue had been. Crispus, who was the synagogue president, his household, and many others heard, believed, and were baptized. Paul had a significant impact many followers due to his teaching. He was very anointed. In Acts 18, verse nine to 11, it goes on to say, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Paul then remained in Corinth for 18 months before he moved on to Ephesus. So that's some of the background. Paul, initially known as Saul, was unpleasant at the beginning, persecuting Christians, putting them in jail until his dramatic conversion. Paul was an apostle, his trade was tent making, and he went into business with Titus. Paul evangelized and taught in the Corinth synagogue before moving next door to the house of Titus due to the hostility. Paul built a church in Corinth with Christian principles and stayed there for 18 months. The Corinth church had good foundations it grown in numbers and been a healthy community when Paul left to go to Ephesus. So what happened? Let's just read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 to 9. I'm using the Amplified here. Paul called as an apostle, special messenger, personally chosen representative of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sothenus, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, set apart, made holy in Christ Jesus, who are selected and called as saints, God's people, together with all those in every place, call on and honour the name of Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace, inner calm and spiritual well-being from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus so that in everything you were exceedingly enriched in him, in all speech, empowered by spiritual gifts, and in all knowledge with insight into the faith. In this way, our testimony, our Christ, was confirmed and established in you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift which comes from the Holy Spirit, as you eagerly await with confident trust for the rev- revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. And he will also confirm to you to the end, keeping you strong and free of accusation, so that you will be blameless and beyond reproach of the day of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. He's reliable, trustworthy, and ever true to his promise. He can be depended on, and through him, you'll be called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's an awful lot in that section. So I want to go on to point three, where does Paul, why does Paul feel the need to write this letter to the church of Corinth? What are the themes and topics that will recur over the next few weeks? So we set the scene. Paul was visited by some of Chloe's household, Stephanus. Fortunous, and no, I can. No, practice this one. No, Dale, say it for me. Oh, achia, I'll spell it A C H A I C U S. think. Thank you. I did practice it. They travelled as delegates from Corinth to bring a gift to Paul, a report of events within the congregation, which wasn't quite a gift, and questions from the church addressed to Paul. So Paul is writing to them because he's heard and been told that there are serious issues within the church involving wrong attitudes, wrong behaviors. He's also answering some of their questions that he'd received from them. He will call them to agree in their decision making by using love in all they do. I'm gonna briefly look into those for a minute. But first, I want us to think about the way he starts his letter. My first thought was how gracious is Paul? He's writing to the church that he knows he built, and he is just showing tremendous grace. He spent 18 months building this church. Any church leader will tell you setting up and leading a church is challenging and demanding work, not for the lighthearted. And I suspect it was the same for Paul and involved blood, sweat, and tears. A church whose foundation was one of being sanctified, in other words, being dedicated, had been set apart and holy in Jesus Christ. How do you think Paul felt about the wrongdoings that were going on? Was he devastated? Was he heartbroken? Was he angry? Was he frustrated? Well, in his letter, in typical opening fashion, Paul's greeting begins with establishing his authority as one summoned by God and sent to give eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Christ. Paul is thanking God for all he has done for the congregation of Corinth. Paul doesn't start with the pain it's caused him in hearing the wrongdoings, but graciously sharing that he is convinced their faith is genuine. Their grace is significant. Considering the non-Christian behavior in the Corinthian congregation, Paul corrects in the letter by grace. This local body is made holy by the work of Christ in redemption. He emphasizes that God has given them everything they need. He speaks with edification and assures them. He calls them saints, God's people. Because they have given their lives to Christ, they have been sanctified. let's just stop and think what being sanctified means as this is key to our understanding. <coughs> Billy Graham, a well-known evangelist, defines sanctification as meaning to be reserved for holy use. You can say that again. Meaning to be reserved for holy use. The objective of every believer should be to hastily pursue this. Sanctification demonstrates the urgency to be emptied out of everything that impairs against being a useful vessel for God's glory. It's a process that starts in the heart and transforms outwardly living The Bible is the instrument that God uses to clean our hearts. So Paul reminds them, God has called them into the fellowship of Christ. The grace flows from the Father and the Son, the Lord over the church. Such grace and peace are integral to being the church community that God calls them to do the work of Christ in a world largely absence of peace and in need of God's grace. Paul reminds them of the gifts of the Holy Spirit they've received from God. He emphasizes the importance of the apostles, prophets, teachers, and what they bring to the church with words of knowledge from God our Father, words of hope and truth that will set them free. They need to care for one another and look after each other with love. Paul is no ordinary person. Remember, he's been appointed by God. He is a person who's demonstrating God's love, grace and is wanting to get alongside them so they see the division they are causing and how their behavior is destructive, no better than those non-believers around them. The culture of Corinth has infiltrated into their church and is not a blessing to the Corinth church. So, what were the serious problems in the Corinth church? This is where I get an A, B, C, D, E, instead of a one, two, three, four. Okay, so A, there were reports of division. Damaged relationships, including rival fractions with some preferring one person's teaching to another's. Paul describes it as becoming like a popularity contest. They were almost taking votes on who they preferred. You can just imagine it, can't you? Sticking up a card and saying nine, two. I don't want to know where you think I am, okay? (laughs) Keep that to yourself. But you know, that's what was going on. How do you think this made the teachers and leaders feel? Paul emphasized that the teachers and leaders are servants of Jesus. They were doing what he'd asked them to do. Who had the right to be judging them in that way? He encourages them to see the church as a community of people centered around Jesus, not a popularity contest and placing a vote. B, there were stories of sexual misconduct which had caused broken relationships. People had been sleeping around In some cases, with other people's wives, husbands, Paul pleads with them about having sexual integrity. He reminds them that Jesus' body was raised from the dead. What you do with your body matters and calls them to live cleanly. Wanting them to recognize and understand there's no compromise See, there were issues about food disputes regarding meat sacrifice between the Jews and non-Jews. Paul calls for a sensitivity in this. If they're sharing a meal with Jewish Christians, don't eat meat and cause them upset. In other words, don't go out of their way to eat meat knowing it will upset and offend. Instead, eat meals that won't cause offence whilst in the company of the Christian Jews and save the meat for when they eat by themselves. The core principle is to show love and not offence. D, their weekly gatherings had become chaos. Paul encourages them to think about each other When praying out loud in other languages, teaching, preaching words from God, be polite and listen. To stop interrupting as they were doing because they feel their word is more important. This is a distraction from what God is wanting to bring through in a meeting. They'd lost their sort of framework. There should be some order, an opportunity for all to share. Respect each other, and most importantly, respect God. The purpose of gathering is so God's spirit works through everybody in a unified way. The Holy Spirit builds Christians up and demonstrates love, not pulls them down and be disrespectful. E, Paul talks about resurrection, being indispensable. Jesus rose from the dead. He had victory over sin and death. It is a source of power for us now and is present. A promise of future hope for the whole world. It is through the resurrection, we have a reason for unity around Jesus. I want to look at the challenges of 1 Corinthians and what suggestions we can do to avoid the pitfalls of the Corinth church. So point four, the challenges in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians emphasizes the importance of God's death, of Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection. Paul specifically addresses division and how important it is be united with one another god is faithful has called us into communion with one another and with christ jesus life death and resurrection are what unifies us and allows us to live in hope 1 corinthians 10:16-17 and 11, Corinthians eleven twenty three to 34, explain the purpose, the importance, and the meaning of communion service, breaking of bread and taking of wine. Corinthians is clear about believing and worshipping one God. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 to 22, in the NIV says, Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the blood of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part In both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? This is a clear message about the dangers of idolizing false gods. God has not made us all Christians alike, He's given us different gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 12 in the NIV. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working in all of them. And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is given the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongue. And still to another, the interpretations of tongues. All these are the works of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The gift should be used to help and encourage people. We need to be careful how we use God's gift. His desire is that each Christian should benefit from God's gift to other Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is an extremely important passage which explains the nature of true love Christians should love each other even when they can't agree about some things and you'll be hearing about that later on we can learn many things about Paul's attitudes and actions as a church leader These can help us understand why Paul was such a successful leader. He didn't try to impress people. Instead, in Corinth, he only declared the simple message about Christ and his death. It reminds us today to examine and look at every area of our lives through the Gospels. We need to live with integrity, have a standard of morality, set apart from non-believers. We should all live according to our faith and consciences, honoring the Lord as we do, being accountable to God, and should work to please him in our lives. Can I just call the worship group up? As I finish, let's just think about how do we, as a church, avoid the pitfalls of the Corinth church? And this is where it relates to today's church. I just wanna say here, I think we, as New Life Community Church, are an amazing church. Call us a group of people call us a community of believers. It's an amazing place to belong to, amazing group. However, I know I continually have to work at different aspects of my Christian faith. You may not need to. I do in the flesh we can be jealous of someone's gifting and want what they have instead of recognizing we need to focus on God build our own relationship with him he will give us individual gifts to use within the church and together it strengthens the church community if we see someone is popular within the church, do we encourage them and speak words of love or do we gossip about them and speak unpleasantly to try to get others to dislike them? That's the popularity contest that there was in Corinth. If we're not careful... We start to idolise things without realising. It can be a simple thing that just seeps in. The latest gadget, football teams, TV programmes, reading horoscopes. There can be a divide between the rich and the poor in a church in the community? Do we make sure we share what we have with those around us who are in need? They probably didn't have food banks in Corinth like we have. When we do our weekly shop, do we think about getting extra so that we can give to the food bank? What a great way to share in our community day Michelle has even made it easier she tells us to bring our food and she'll take it how good is that do we support our community we're blessed with groups such as little buds younger for longer building the relationship now with the food bank Are there more things that we can be doing in the community to serve? If we see someone by themselves at church, do we try to come alongside them and help them to integrate, or do we ignore them? Similarly, if we see someone hurting and upset, do we listen to them, ask if there is anything we can do? Offer to pray for them? Or do we carry on speaking to our friends and ignore them? And they go home feeling sad and unloved. I don't think we do in this church. I think we're really good for looking out for new people coming in. And that's a gifting. We need to be mindful, though, of not getting complacent or proud of what has been built in New Life Community Church. The leadership are amazing. Dale's not paid me, by the way. (laughs) They lead by example. I remember when I first came to the church, how much the leadership took an interest in where we'd come from, who we were, how we were doing. That is a real precious thing within a church when the leadership do that. Offering a joinery where you can go and speak and air your views in a nice way. The leadership are amazing. Lead by example. But all of us need to take responsibility in this and demonstrate the godly way of living we need to prefer one another encourage one another look after one another pray for one another build each other up and most of all we need to be in unity and love we want to be a church whose people have been selected and called as saints God's people to resemble Jesus on earth, set apart. So today, I've tried to give you an introduction and an oversight into Corinthians. For me, when I got married, we had, like many do, 1 Corinthians 13, verse four to 13. So I knew that part fairly well. But looking into some of the history in the background, it has made me appreciate how much there is to learn and understand. Over the next weeks, others will continue entering into Corinthians. Dale's going to lead us into communion. And just think, as we take communion, some of these points that I've shared, thank you.